the book of First John. Uh, we won't be in the Gospel of John. That'll be a little bit further down in your Bible. First John will be in chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out in the lobby as a gift to you for you to take home with you. So uh, in your Bible, First John chapter 3, we will start in verse 11 and we'll work our way through verse 18. Now, if you don't know, um, while you're turning in your Bible, uh, 1 John can be broken up in kind of three sections. The first section being kind of the, it's just the prologue. It's the first uh, four verses or so. You got the prologue. Say, hey, introduction to the book that I'm about to write you from John, right? Uh, The second part, uh, it can be broken into uh, two divisions. So you've got the first division that starts at about chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and goes until right before our passage this morning. And then the second section is where our passage kicks it off, right? So this first section of the book of John is literally a, it tells you right at the jump, it literally says, hey, um, this is what we have heard that we are going to tell you that God is light. That's the first section of the book of John right there. God is light. And the rest of that section, you're going to see God has no darkness in him. This is a characteristic of God. He is perfect. He is holy. All of those amazing things. But then you get to the passage uh, that we are going to kick off with that kicks off the rest of the book of John that we literally get a summary statement right from the jump. In verse 11, it says this. This is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, right? I'll read the rest of the passage in just a second, but that's what we're going to be talking about. Literally just that. Brian, last week, started talking about love, all those good things, and I'm just going to kind of build on what Brian talked about last week, and we're going to talk about exactly that. This is what we should be doing because we know that God is light, because we know who God is, because we know what he has done for us, we should love one another. It's all John is saying. It's a pretty basic book, um, but it's very, very hard to live out, and that's why we need consistent reminders. So if you don't mind, let me go ahead and read our passage, the rest of the passage for us. Uh, I'll pray, and then we'll dig into it. First John chapter 3, verse, starting at verse 11 again, all the way through 18, says this. This is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we come to you in... In the name of your son, Jesus, we thank you for your new mercies today. We thank you for who you are today, that you are faithful, that you are the same yesterday, today, uh, and forever. Father, we ask that you attach your words to our heart and to our soul. Sink it down to a level to where we actually begin to live it out. Father, we, we are so eternally grateful for the, the way that you sacrificed uh, for us, so that we could be in relationship with you, so that we could spend eternity in your presence. Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Uh, so there's four names that I want to put in front of you, um, four names, um, and I'll tell you why I'm putting these names in front of you, four names, uh, Brandy and Brandon, Chase, and Annabeth, okay? Uh, if you know me at all, you'll know some of these names. If you don't, then you're about to learn a little bit about me, okay? Brandy and Brandon, those are my parents. They're actually here uh, this morning. Uh, they're probably thinking, why is he talking about us? Um, Brandy and Brandon are my parents. I love, love, love my parents. They uh, have done more for me than I could ever explain. They had me when they were young, uh, and even through lots of setbacks, they continuously took care of me. They took me, uh, made sure that I was at basketball practice on time. They helped me with homework, and mom knows that I hated homework. Uh, they, they helped me with all sorts of things, um, and they sacrificed over and over and over and over. They loved me, and they loved me really, really well. Uh, and I'm just now getting to the point where I'm trying to love them back the same way, uh, even though, you know, it took me a little while, so I apologize, Mom and Dad. <laughs> um, second name, so those two names, third name technically, is Chase. Chase is my best friend. Um, Chase is one of those friends that uh, when you go through a hard breakup, uh, that's the friend you want to go to and just, you know, as us men do, cry it out, right? Uh, you go to, your, go to your best friend, uh, Chase, when you go through a breakup or when you have this genius idea to do something crazy or dumb or whatever it is, and you're like, Chase, you got to do it with me. It's that friend, right? Chase is, Chase is my absolute best friend. He's also the friend that stood right by me, by my side, as my best man when I got married. And so Chase, had, Chase and I have been through a lot of things together, a lot of events. Uh, I've known Chase uh, since I moved here to Cumming, Georgia in 2013, or this is Dosmo, sorry, moved to Cumming, Georgia uh, in 2013. I met Chase at youth group, and ever since then, we have been just airtight, me and Chase, best friend, loves me really, really well. Um, the last one, uh, save the best for last, obviously, Annabeth is my wife, uh, my beautiful wife. I could go on for hours, days, months, years, whatever, and tell you how awesome she is, but I'm not going to do that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'll tell you this. My mom told me one day that you need to find, she looked me in the eyes and says, you need to find someone who can handle being a pastor's wife. And uh, she, that was some of the best advice my mom ever gave me, uh, and boy, does Annabeth exceed that. Awesome, awesome, awesome person who literally, like the, the whole cliche phrase, my better half, that kind of, literally my better half, makes me a better man. I love, love, love my wife, and she sacrificially loves me, sacrificially loves me. I could brag about her literally for days and days and days, right? So there's a reason I tell you those names. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. And uh, it's basically, we have the word love in English, but in the Greek, you can, it's like a bunch of different translations. Like, there's a lot of different words in Greek for our one word, love, right? So us, us people that speak English, we have a hard time understanding that love can literally mean all different kinds of things. And the Greeks do this well by giving it different words, which would logically make sense, right? So C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. And those four loves, um, they're, they're Greek names, so I'm going to give it my best. The first one is Storgi, and that one is kind of the familial type of love. It's the love that Brandy and Brandon, my parents, and I have for each other. It's the love between a mother and a son, a father and a daughter, all that, the, just like the family love, the way that you love, uh, I would say the way that my sister loves me, but she pretends like she doesn't. So, uh, so but the way that I love my sister, I guess, right? Uh, it's that kind of love. That's one love that uh, C.S. Lewis talks about. Uh, the second love is philia. This is the love that you would feel for a friend, 
right? A best friend. When you love your best friend and when your best friend loves you, this is the kind of love that we're talking about. It's the love that I have for Chase. It's the love that Chase has for me, right? And then you get to eros, and this is the more romantic type of love. This is the husband and wife type of love, the way that you love your spouse. It's not the same way that you're going to love your parents. Lord, hope not. It's not the same way that you're going to love your best friend, right? It's, it's a different kind of love. It's the love that you have for your spouse, right? It's a very, very transparent, intimate kind of love. But then there's a fourth kind of love. And this is the love that most of you are probably most familiar with. You may have even actually heard this Greek word before. Brian may have mentioned it, or you've, you've heard it in your own Bible study. But it is agape love. It's sacrificial love. C.S. Lewis actually translated it as charity. It's the type of love that undergirds all of the other loves. It's the type of love that my parents had for me. They sacrificed their time, energy, and effort for me. It's the type of love that Chase has for me. Sacrificial, I would die for you kind of love. It's the love that Annabeth has for me. Sacrificial love. But even further than that, this is the love that we describe God. This is how we describe God. When we say, 1 John 4, if you look in the next chapter of our passage, 1 John 4, 8 literally says, God is love. That word love, the Greek word that's used there is agape. God is agape. God is love. Uh, Most of you, um, you probably have either been in a wedding, uh, been a part of a wedding, gone to a wedding, whatever. Uh, There's a passage that gets used all the time uh, in weddings, 1 Corinthians 13. We know this passage, right? Love is this, love is that, love is this. The way that Paul is describing that love, it's the agape kind of love. But if you'll notice, if you actually look closer at that passage, Paul is not just describing what love is. He's describing God, right? He's describing the fact that, hey, this is what love is. And the only reason we know what kind of love that is is because we have a God who is literally that. God is agape love. So if you'll notice, as we dig into our passage, John kind of... He gives us that summary statement, right? We are supposed to love one another. And then he takes a hard left turn at verse 12. And what he does, which I think is, I think John is a genius for this. What he does is at verse 12, he actually in fact goes, okay, before we start talking about what love actually is, let's talk about what love is not. Let's do that first. Let's talk about what love is not. And John's like, I can imagine John writing this. This feels obvious, Like, I feel like this might be common sense. But let me give you an example of what love is not. So then he goes on to explain the story of Cain and Abel, right? If you don't know the story, um, let me give you just a really quick recap. If, you, if you've been in church any, any amount of time, you know the story. Uh, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's children, right? Uh, Cain and Abel present a sacrifice to God, and God accepts Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. Now, we don't have a ton of time to go into why that is, but it's just the reality. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. And so Cain gets jealous, he gets upset, he gets mad, he gets whatever. He lures Abel, kills him. So Cain literally murders his brother Abel. And so what John is doing here is he's saying, hey, let me give you an example of what love is not. Love is not murdering. Right? Love is not killing someone. That's, 
You can't argue that. There's no other way around it. Love is not what Cain did to Abel. But here's what I think. I think that there's something a little bit deeper under the surface of this. Because I don't think we're just talking about murder. I think what John is trying to get at is there's more than just Cain killed his brother, right? In fact, if you really look at it, Cain took something from Abel. He took something. He took his life. Now, this is a very extreme version of taking something. But what he's saying here is love is not taking something from someone that is not yours to take. So when Cain kills Abel, Cain plays God and says, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to take my brother's life because he made me mad. But then it gets even deeper. John goes even further, and this one may be hard to stomach, but John goes even further in the passage, and he says this, anyone, verse 15, anyone who hates his brother, so not just physically murders his brother, but anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. We don't naturally associate hate. Like we've all had someone in our life that we just did not like, and we would probably call it hate. We would never associate that with physically murdering someone, right? But John is literally saying, to hate your brother or sister, to hate someone, is essentially to be a murderer. There's a guy named Daniel Aiken. He's a theologian. He, uh, he common, uh, comments on this passage specifically. Uh, and I, I love what he says here. He says, the destructive nature of hatred is equivalent to the act of murder itself. That's what John is saying here. Bottom line, John is saying, this is what love is not. It's not taking what's not yours to take. Uh, when I was younger, uh, I, I had this kid, and I don't know how old I was at this point, but I went to this summer camp, and there was this kid. Uh, he actually lived in my neighborhood as well, but he went to the same summer camp as I did. And uh, I just, like, I could not stand this kid. I, there, I don't have an easy way to put it. I just didn't like him. Uh, there was just something about him that just annoyed the ever-living daylights out of me, right? And so it's lunchtime. And we're sitting on these, those benches, you know, the, like the table and the bench are attached to the table, kind of like we have outside. I'm sitting on one of those. I sit down, my introverted little self, uh, eating my lunch, happy as I can be, and he has the audacity to come and sit with me. I just, I about lost it. I said, look, um, if you're here to annoy me, please leave. Like, I'm going to give you one chance. I didn't know what I was going to do, right? I was threatening him with nothing, but like, please leave, Right. <laughs> You annoy me, and I know all you're going to do is sit here and start talking smack, and I don't want to hear it, right? I was right. That's exactly what he did. He sat his butt down, and he started talking smack, trying to annoy me, just rile me up, right? And so I had had enough. That was it. Couldn't do it anymore. I get out of my chair, or the bench, proceed to grab the bench, lift it up, and the table goes with him, right? His lunch all in, falls off. I didn't completely flip it over, but I look back at that story and I'm like, so maybe there was a little bit of Jesus, right? You know, flipping tables. I don't know. I'm not comparing myself to Jesus, but um, I literally, I flipped this table, right? Or begin to flip it. I was like 10, so I couldn't get it all the way up, but his lunch goes down. He goes down. I get in trouble, whatever, right? Here's why I tell that story, because what I did in that situation was um, gave an example of what love is not. 
right? I, I hated this kid. Now, I didn't know this passage at the time. It would have been nice to know this passage, right? But what I essentially said in my head is, he is not worth my time. He is not worth being here. So I'm going to literally try to kill him with a table, right? But take it from me. Look at my example of what love is not. That's what John is saying. Hey, do not take what is not yours to take. That's not what love is. But then, this is where it gets really good. Then he flips it. He says, okay, if love is not taking life, if love is not taking life, then what is it? It's giving life. If love is not taking life, it is in fact the opposite. It is giving life. And here's what I love what John does. John gives an extreme case of what love is not, Cain and Abel, murder. Then he goes all the way to the other side of the spectrum and says, well, let me give you an example of sacrifice. Let me give you an example of what love truly looks like. Rather than murdering someone, let me show you someone who allowed himself to be murdered. Rather than taking someone's life, let me show you someone who gave his life for you. So this is what he goes on to say, verse 16. And if you missed this the first time, sit with this for a second. Verse 16 is the gospel, plain and simple. Verse 16 is the good news. It is why we're here. Verse 16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's the gospel. That's it right there. That's the gospel. This is how we know what love is. Love is 39 lashes to the body when 40 is the death penalty. That's love. Love is carrying your own torture device for it to be pinned up, for you to be pinned up against it for doing absolutely nothing wrong. That's love. Love is being mocked and spat on before you are to be tortured. All for your sake. That's love. Love is to be pinned up on the cross and to ask for forgiveness for those that mock you. That's love. Love is dying and bearing the sins of the world because the ones who sinned couldn't do it themselves. Love is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's love. Love is sacrifice. Love is not taking life away. Love is, in fact, the opposite. It is giving life away. Now, here's the problem. Um, I think when we, when we naturally think about sacrifice, right, we're, um, tomorrow is Memorial Day, and uh, we're thinking about this idea of sacrifice, and when we think about sacrifice, naturally, we think about literally dying for someone, right? And that is absolutely a correct definition, 100%. Sacrifice is literally to give your life away. But as followers of Jesus, if we are going to make an impact 
for the world on a daily basis, we can't literally die on a daily basis, right? We can't literally sacrifice our life on a daily basis. But what we can do is to sacrifice through other means of our daily world, right? So when we think of sacrifice, we rightfully so think about literally giving our life away because we have the perfect example of that. We have someone that sacrificed his life for you. But we have to then ask the question, well, what do we do in response? What do we do in response? Well, we, we sacrifice as well. We do what John is telling us to do in verses 17 and 18, and I'll read for us again. Literally, on the daily, sacrifice in such a way um, that reflects that you actually believe that Jesus sacrificed himself for you. Verse 17 and 18, Here's, um, this is, uh, John gives us a couple of examples of, hey, let me show you. All right, we know what love is now. Let me show you how to then go and reciprocate. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So what does it look like to sacrifice your life on a daily basis, right? Well, it's literally to give yourself away. That's what he's saying. If you have material possessions and you see someone that needs it more than you do, give it away. Pretty simple, right? One of my favorite things about Annabeth, my wife, uh, she, she does this really cool thing where um, she, so she used to live in Atlanta, like right outside of Atlanta, and I think most of us probably know that uh, there's a pretty serious homelessness situation in Atlanta, right? There's a lot of homeless people in Atlanta. And so uh, Annabeth noticed this. She noticed that there's a lot of homeless people. She'd come off on the exit, and there's some, some guy standing with a sign in need of money, in need of food, or whatever it may be, right? Um, and so what she decided to do was go and buy some Chick-fil-A gift cards and buy some of the, like, New Testaments, and I think it had the Psalms in it, um, to go and buy a couple of those uh, and to literally hand them a Chick-fil-A gift card and a New Testament. So she's literally feeding them twice. She's feeding them the Lord's Chicken, number one, so that might save them to begin with. Uh, Chick-fil-A, Lord's Chicken. So she's feeding them physically, and she's feeding them the daily bread. Am I right? So she's feeding them twice. Chick-fil-A, Jesus. What combination could be better? If you're not saved, I don't know how else to help you, right? I've given you Chick-fil-A and the Bible, right? But to me, what that says is she is going and with her own money, purchasing Chick-fil-A gift cards, with her own money, purchasing some Bibles, and just to give it away. There's no other reason besides, hey, I love you. I don't know you, but I love you, and I want you to know Jesus. Here's some food, and here's a Bible. That's sacrifice. Right? She's not solving the homelessness problem in Atlanta, but she's being the hands and feet of Jesus. She is giving them food and food. That's sacrifice. That's what it looks like to daily, on the daily, sacrifice your life. Um, <clears throat> here's, some, here's some bad news. I'll give you some good news after this. The bad news is you are not able to do this alone. Right? We've talked about the fact that Jesus sacrificed his life for you. But something happens when you actually believe that to be true. 
Something happens, and that something is called the Holy Spirit. Only through the work of the Holy Spirit can you do any of these things. You can't do it by yourself. But here's the good news. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, if, you have made, if you've made Jesus your Lord and your Savior, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord, right? If you've done that, you then have the Holy Spirit. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, he is guiding you, shaping you, molding you, leading you to sacrifice your life on a daily basis just as John has called us to do. The Holy Spirit is leading you toward love. And so when you feel that inkling of, hey, you know what? I should go buy some Chick-fil-A gift cards and a couple of New Testaments and hand it to a homeless person, even though it may not make me super comfortable or I don't know the person or what if they stop me at the traffic light and start a conversation and then I'm holding up all the traffic. If you have an inkling, do it. That's the Holy Spirit. When you have something in your mind that says, I should sacrifice in a way that makes me uncomfortable, I promise you that's not your thinking. That's the Holy Spirit saying, look at me. <laughs> I'm leading you to do this, so follow. That's the good news is that we have, because of Jesus' atoning death and sacrifice, we have the Holy Spirit leading us in such a way to do that. So by way of application, let me leave you with this. Um, one question that you can think about, uh, you may have thought about this question before, Brian may have asked this in the past before, or whatever, but let me just leave you with one question, and that question is, what would it look like for you to give something away in your fill-in-the-blank, right? Think about the areas of life, what would it look like for you to sacrifice to give yourself away in your marriage? What could that look like? Right? I know I'm newly married, but uh, I've already seen within the first year what sacrifice truly looks like. Sacrifice is um, when I've had a long day and Annabeth cooks, the, uh, cooks dinner for us. Naturally, we have this little thing where she cooks and then I do the dishes to give her a break from cooking, right? Uh, sacrifice is uh, Nathan's had a long day, a lot of work, a lot of schoolwork. Uh, let me just go ahead and do the dishes for him. Small things like that. What could it look like for you to sacrifice in your marriage? What about in your vocation, your job? What would it look like for you to give away your time and your energy for the betterment of the company that you work for, even if you don't like the company you work for? That's where it gets tough. What about that coworker that you don't like? What would it look like to sacrifice for them? You know that we're called to love our enemies. I did not love my enemy well when I flipped a table on him, but what I could have done is started talking to him, asking him questions, getting to know him, telling him about Jesus. What could it look like in your marriage, in your vocation, in your finances? You name an area of life. What would it look like for you to sacrifice in that area of life? Let me close with this. Um, we don't sacrifice, we don't love, we don't sacrifice so that we can try to earn God's favor, right? We don't do this so that God looks at us and says, you know, you're pretty holy. You're holier than that person. I wish they would do that. 
It's not why we do this. It's not why we sacrifice. If you'll notice, the way John phrased it says, let me tell you what Jesus did for you first. Second, let me tell you what your response is. It's in that order. And if we get that order flipped, we're in for some, some, for some trouble. Because we don't sacrifice to earn God's favor. In fact, we know love. We know agape love because of who God is. Therefore, we then go and sacrifice. Do you see the order? We flip that order, it becomes legalism. We're doing this to climb the ladder towards heaven. We are earning our way to God. But in fact, God said, you don't have to earn your way to me. I'm going to come to you. And because I'm going to come to you, all I want is your worship and your obedience. Because if you really look at the grand scheme of things, what God did for us and what we can do for him don't compare. So worship and obedience is the least that we could do. And that's what John is calling us to do. So before you leave, leave with the good news that Jesus died for your sins. It's a simple phrase, but it is a truth that once you believe, gets you into a relationship with the creator of the universe. Gets you into eternity where you are free from the power, presence, and penalty of sin. Just simply believe. Leave with that good news, but don't stop there. Also leave with the call to go and sacrifice and to give your life away. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love. Father, we... We are truly, truly broken. We are broken, sinful people, and we need you on a daily basis. And Father, because you are there with us on a daily basis, we want to follow suit and do what your son called us to do, to pick up our cross daily and follow him, to sacrifice our life daily simply because of what you've done for us. God, you don't owe us anything, and we owe you everything. So, Father, guide us, lead us, counsel us, conform us into the image of your Son. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.